happen at least a couple of times. I'll only spare you with, with one example of that. And, and what I'll do is, number one, my disclaimer is this. Don't, don't take my lead on this, especially if you're a single gentleman in the room. Um, so when my wife and I, Natalie, started dating, on our very first date, I decided to share everything, right? And, and again, I do not recommend this. I shared just about everything I possibly could, but one of the things that I shared with her, and I'm not going to get too personal, don't worry. I know she's watching online. I'm not, one of the things I shared with her was my personal financial situation. And if you just think about that, we've been together for about 15 years, so if you really just think about what that probably looked like, I didn't have a whole lot of money, I did have a whole lot of debt, so I shared all of that with her. Thank God it didn't scare her away as it should have. But I, I, I probably revealed way, way too much at, on a very first date, which arguably she would actually tell you she didn't realize it was a date. But and even though I gave her my, I gave her everything and I, I, I told her where I was at, and even though I only had just a tiny, tiny bit to give her, she still took me in eventually. And now, of course, I don't want to minimize my experience with my wife, but what we're going to do is we're going to shift our, our focus a little bit. And what I want to do is share with you what Jesus Dan did and what he can do with just a little bit. We're in a, a current sermon series, and it's called Seven Signs. So we're looking from the Gospel of John, we're looking at the seven signs of Jesus. And this fourth sign is found in John chapter 6. So if you haven't found that place already, or if your little tag isn't already in your Bibles, or if you haven't opened it up already, now would be a fantastic time to do that. John's in the New Testament, fourth book over. Uh, we're going to start in verse 1, we'll carry that all the way through verse 15. But before we get there, I want to remind us a little bit of, of kind of the purpose of these signs. We're about in the middle portion of our, our sermon series, and it's really important that we know exactly why we're looking at these signs and what their purpose was for. And we'll have to jump ahead in the, in the Gospel of John to do that. And in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he says this, and this is John speaking, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So we see that John wrote these so that the reader may believe in Christ Jesus. So these signs were shared so that they are pointed in the direction of the Father through Jesus Christ. And I also want to kind of catch us up between the two signs that we just looked at. Last week, if you recall, we looked at the, the healing of the man at Bethsaida. And between that period and this sign, there's actually a little bit that, that kind of went on. There's was, there was quite a bit that transpired. So one thing I want to remind you of, and this ties directly in, is, is twice now, Pastor Pat's done a great job on helping us to see when Christ has indeed helped us to see and, 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 and claimed his, his deity right? That he was equal with the Father. And that's really, really evident in between what we looked at last week and what we see here. So in chapter 5, and I'll give you some verses. You might want to write these down. I'll post them a little bit later online as well. But um, verses 18 and 29 in, verse five, in chapter 5, as well as 30 through 47, what you'll see here is a couple of times where Jesus claims his deity and he challenges his, the people around him. 
Um, and then once you finish those, those passages, jump ahead to chapter 10. Chapter 10, verses 38, 37 and 38 help us to see this as well. And we'll see here that Jesus is equal with God the Father. And it's clearly illustrated in these passages. Which, again, if you, you, you think about that, it, it's, it's contrary to what a lot of people believe. They, they, they literally claim that Jesus never claimed to be God, but we see that very clearly. And another thing I want to point out before we get into the passage is that this is considered a sign, but a lot of people will call it a miracle, okay? And this is actually a very unique one because this miracle is, is only one of two that is found in all four gospel accounts. Any guesses on what that other account would be, or the other miracle? The resurrection. The resurrection is the only other miracle that we see that is actually in all four of the gospel accounts. And I think that's pretty amazing. And I think it's safe to say that this is probably a very important sign that we're going to look at this morning. It's a familiar one, too. If, if, if you, you are familiar with the, the passage, this is a very familiar one. Here he, set, he, he feeds the 5,000. And I think better stated is that he feeds the multitude. And we'll see that a little bit uh, later of, of why I say that. So Jesus, or John, had a very specific purpose of why he shared what he shared. All right, And I think that's very important that we see that. And because of that, we don't see all of the details of this event within his account. But when we step back and we look at all four of the gospel accounts, we really do see um, some additional details that will help us to fill in some of those blanks. For example, in Mark 6 and in Luke 9, it reveals that Jesus has been teaching this multitude all day. And in Mark, uh, Matthew 14 and Mark 6, we also see that, that it was getting late in the afternoon, late in the evening. And then in all three of the additional accounts, we're also told that the disciples essentially wanted to send the multitude away. But Jesus had a different plan, and we'll see that here in just a second. And he had other plans, so uh, I, wanna, I wanted to give you a little bit of that background, but we'll jump right into the text now. We'll start in verse 1, so go ahead and follow along on the screen or in your uh, Bibles. Verse 1, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is, is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up onto the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, he, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he knew himself what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of these to get just a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so that the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given things, he distributed them to those who were seated. Also, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And they had eaten to their fill, and he told his disciples, gather up all the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and he filled the twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And then when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is, is to come into the world. 
And then perceiving then that they were about to take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again in the mountain by himself. So I want to make quick note of, of the location in verse 1. Commentator F.F. F. Bruce says that this location is actually known as Golan Heights. Sounds like Los Angeles to me. I don't know why. Uh, it, it's a hill that overlooks a plain. So he's up on this hill. It overlooks this large plain. Um, and we know from the other accounts that Jesus and his disciples actually went up to this hill for some solitude. And in this account, in what we see in verse 2, says they followed him because of the signs that he had performed. Um, and verse 4 gives us an idea of timing of when all this occurred, which was during the Passover. And we'll touch on, on what the possible significance of that is here in a little bit as well. And, and again, we saw a little bit just a, a moment ago that Jesus and his disciples went up there from some solitude. So they were tired, they were traveling all day, they were teaching all day. Um, and Jesus himself had, had been teaching, right? And I'm sure they were exhausted, right? And I, I can tell you this right now. I'm not, I can't speak for you, but I can tell you this, one of my confessions, right? When I'm tired, <laughs> I am less than motivated to do anything for anybody else, right? I am very unmotivated to do anything for anybody else when I'm tired. So just think about what Jesus did here, right? In his time of solitude. We don't see that with Jesus. Jesus isn't like you and I. And then again, the, the disciples, they wanted to send him away. What was Jesus' response? And we see this more clearly in the other accounts. He said, no, feed them. Don't send them away, feed them. And he does this in a very remarkable way. The first thing we do, and, and we'll get to that part in a second, the very first thing we see is that he asks Philip where to buy food. Why Philip? We don't know exactly, but what we do know from John 1.44 is that Philip was from Bethsaida, which we saw just last week, right? Um, his brother Andrew, of course, was from there as well. So they were close enough to where Philip was familiar with the plain and familiar with the lay of land, so it's very possible he chose Philip because he knew Philip would know where to possibly go for food. But we see that Philip was a little cynical, and we also see, you know, Philip basically told Jesus, Jesus, we, we don't have enough money. We don't, if, even if we had 200 denarii, which denarii is, is basically one day worth of wages. So that's kind of what we're talking about here. And he said, even if we had 200, it would not be enough to feed any of them, even to give them a little. So Andrew, Philip's brother, brings his boy to Jesus and this boy, which, which the Greek word for boy here is actually like young boy, little boy. So it's a small boy. And he, he brings this boy, and this boy had five barley loaves and two fish. So I want to put this into context as well. A barley loaf isn't like this nice French roll. It, it's actually probably closer to like a, like a pita bread, right? So it's, it's a flimsy, small, flat bread. Um, and, and, and it's actually something that the, the, the poor people of the day consumed. It was something that they had eaten. And these fish, we're not talking about a, a king salmon or a nice fresh cod. I know it's dangerous to talk about food in church. I'm sorry. It's more like a sardine, right? So let me, let me put it this way. Instead of a $5 foot long, they got themselves like a fillet of fish, right? That, that's kind of what we're talking about here. That was all that was available. That was all that was provided to Jesus to work with. So John, again, doesn't provide all the details, 
However, we're, we're very, we should be very grateful for the other accounts because we see a little bit more and it fills in the blanks. Luke, he actually provides the most by verse as well as by detail, um, the most information about this account. Here it, it records that Jesus had the disciples group the crowds into 50, and then he had them seated. What did, again, I mean, some of you parents will know this, right? It's hard to get your kids to sit down and to, to listen. He, he had 5,000 plus people, and he had his disciples group them into 50. What this reveals about God is that he's a God of order. He's a God of order. He had a direct plan, and he had his, his disciples call that out. And the number of men who were seated was 5,000. And the reason I'm not calling it Jesus feeds the 5,000, and I'm calling it that Jesus call, uh, fed the multitude, is because we see from the account of Matthew that there were men and children, or women and children there as well. So we're probably talking anywhere from 12,000 to 15,000 people on this, this plane who needed food. So Jesus here takes the loaves of fish and he blesses it. And it's likely a traditional Jewish prayer that he prayed. He gives it to his disciples and his disciples distribute it amongst all of the people. What an incredible scene, right? John kind of alludes that Jesus kind of distributed. But what we see here is that Jesus stayed back and and Jesus had the disciples put out the food. And this is obviously the first time from these signs that we're looking at, too, where Jesus is dealing with a large, large group of people. But Jesus stayed in the background. He had his disciples do the work. That's an act of humility from Jesus. That's an act of humility from him. And what an amazing thing we see. He, he had an audience. He could have done whatever he pleased to do, but he chose to have his d- disciples distribute. And I think that's an amazing lesson for us today as well. So not only are all fed, we see that they were full what an incredible amount, right? So, and, and, and not only that, there were also fragments left over. And we're not talking about crumbs. We're talking about fragments, right? If I grab a piece of bread and I tear it in half, the, the, the half that's not eaten was left over. And that's what we're talking about here. So the disciples, they, they, they went and they collected them and there was enough to fill 12 baskets. Incredible picture that we see here. Now, there are obviously, there's a lot of speculation of what this number 12 meant, right? And we don't know exactly why there was 12 baskets. Um, they, also, you know, the, the, they also tied this particular scene back to what we saw in verse 4 with the Passover meal. And there's probably a connection, a foreshadowing of the Passover, the Last Supper, right? So I think there's some, some key details here that we might need to look at. And, and I think that's confirmed a little bit later in this same chapter when Jesus claims to be, what, the bread of life, right? Jesus is the bread of life. Um, I do like what F.F. What F. Bruce says here again. He says, perhaps there's a hint that the Lord not only supplied the need of these lost sheep of the house of Israel, but also had enough to supply the need of all of the 12 tribes, right? I think that's a neat, neat, um, neat reason there. But whatever the reason that that that, that we have here for the excess, what we do see here is it wasn't wasted. So there was a lesson being taught here in service, in stewardship, as well as in giving. We see three significant lessons immediately just from this act of service. And then finally, verse 14 says that the people realized what occurred. They acknowledge him as the prophet who is to come. Now, this word prophet is probably capitalized in most of your Bibles, this word prophet is not a, a special word. It's, it's, it's the, the general term that's used um, 
for the word of word prophet. And the meaning of that is it's a person inspired by God to reveal God's purpose or will. So there wasn't anything special about this designation. However, what this phrase may be referring to is something that we read in Deuteronomy chapter 18. And in verses 15 through 19, we read this, that the Lord your God will raise up, and this is Moses speaking to the people of Israel, all right? So Moses is speaking. He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when he said, let me not hear again the voice of my Lord your God, or see this great fire no more lest I die. And then the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up, this is God speaking, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak my name, I myself may require it of him. So it may be referencing that designation. They recognize that maybe this is the, the prophet who is greater than Jesus. And we, we do see a little confirmation, at least in concept, in Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews 3 tells us that Jesus is greater than Moses, right? A message directly to the Hebrews. Now, however, what we do see a little bit later on, even though he, they call him the prophet, if you read ahead again, and if you jump all the way to verse 66 of the same chapter, it says that many of the disciples left. So what we see here, and, and this is really probably the same crowd of people, but what we see here is that he is the bread of life. So this is directly following that concept and that lesson. So we, what we see is that there's a lesson from the physical feeding that occurred, that takes place, and the signs that occurred, which were they were fine to follow him when they were being fed and being healed. But when Jesus called for action, when Jesus called for them to, to, to make a commitment, when their bellies were full and they were asked to abide, they were no longer able to follow him. So what, what the Lord is asking us today and what he was asking them then was to part, partake daily into the bread of life and he's going to provide the rest. I know there's a lot of background. There's a lot there that we just talked about. And you might be wondering, okay, this is great. Where do we go from here? I'm glad you asked. I really am. Here's the main idea from our text today. The, this fourth sign shows us that Jesus can do much even when we have little to give to him to start. Jesus can do much even when we give little. So for the rest of our time this morning, what I want to do is I want to answer two questions. First question is this. What does this sign reveal about Jesus? What does this sign reveal about Jesus? First thing we see here is this. No task is too large for him. No task is too large for Jesus. Philip literally analyzed this situation, right? He, he, he analyzed it. He, he put all the numbers. He did the quick math. He looked at the situation around him. He knew that this task was impossible. However, what he did, though, is he immediately looked where? To his resources. He looked at his banking app on the phone. He, he tried to do a quick Walmart delivery, and he realized that there was just too much, and it was, they're not, they're not going to fulfill the order. And he even knew that sending them into the marketplace where he was very familiar with, they were not going to be able to fulfill the needs of 12,000 people. 
it was not an option. He knew that it was humanly impossible. And we recall from the text, Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. He was testing Philip. So the impossibility of this task from a human perspective did not stop Jesus from performing this sign, something that only he can really do. And Jesus knew what it was like to be hungry. Remember that. If we, we go back to, to Matthew 4, where Jesus is actually being uh, tempted by Satan himself in the wilderness for 40 days, one of the things that he was trying to tempt him, to, and, and, and in fact, was because he was hungry. And, and Satan tried to exploit his hunger pains, and, and Jesus responded with these words from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And this is the latter part of that, that verse. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's where the real food comes from. That's where we can be full. And I think this is obviously very significant. Recall what we just talked about. The crowds followed Jesus as long as he performed signs and he was teaching them and he was feeding them. But as soon as they asked to be committed to him, they departed. So here's a challenging question for you. What do you do when you're asked to make a commitment? to Christ. Do you cling to him or do you depart? The next thing that we learn about Jesus here is that Jesus will provide more than you even know you need. Jesus will provide more than you know you need. If you look at all the accounts, none of them actually indicate that the people were hungry. They weren't looking for food, but the disciples, they saw the writing on the wall. And they knew that because of the time of day, it was late, that they would begin to get hungry. And then Mark reveals, too, that the food that was provided by the boy was all that they had. Now, I'm a bit surprised by that. And and parents, I'm sure you'll understand why. When Elizabeth was little, we always had food in the bag for her right? We had the little applesauce pouches. We had little fruit snacks, goldfish. We always had food in the bag because we knew the kid, as soon as we leave the house, daddy, I'm hungry, right? So we always had food, whether it was just a quick stop to the store, whether it was a trip to the zoo, whatever that might be, we always had food available. But here we read all they had were these, these loaves and this fish. And we all, you know, as parents, we give them just enough to hold over. We didn't give them a meal. We gave them just enough to hold over. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said, I'm going to give you more than you need. I'm going to make sure you're satisfied. I'm going to make sure you're full. And, and, we, you know, and we can see that in the, the usage of the word in various translations. So what we see is that this filet of fish turned into an all-you-can-eat seafood buffet, didn't it? Right? And, and, and there was plenty of food and particularly bread. If we look at the passage, it doesn't talk about the fish. And you know why? Because you can't reheat fish in the office microwave. That just, just, you can't do it, right? There was no fish left over. God knew our needs, though, didn't he? God knows our needs. When I was thinking about Psalm 23, the opening lines, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? Or, or Matthew 6 came to mind when Christ reminds us that even the birds in the air are fed and they don't go hungry. He, he knows our needs, and he'll provide for our needs. The third thing we see here is that Jesus is full of compassion. Jesus is full of compassion. 
Now, thinking about my, my restaurant management days, one of the biggest arguments I had with my servers was about what we call pre-bussing tables or bussing tables. My servers didn't want anything to do with that. And their usually answer to, those, to, to the questioning of it was, well, it's not my job, right? It's not my job. Think about it. Jesus was in no obligation to feed these people. He wasn't. He, he didn't force them to follow him. It was late in the day. They made the decision to continue to follow him. But what we saw in verse 5 is he lifted his eyes and he saw the large crowd was coming. And immediately he said, Philip, where can we get food? Jesus had compassion on these people. And he saw the need. He knew what he had to do. He spent, he spent his entire day feeding them spiritually. But he also knew that they had physical needs. And he, needed, he knew that they needed the nourishment. So he fed them abundantly. And they didn't even have to ask him. So Jesus here, he led with his heart. And shouldn't we do the same? Finally, the fourth thing that we learn about Jesus in this passage, and there's other things, I'm only giving you four. Jesus can use you to perform his work, right? And we see that here in this passage. The obvious and first example we see is from this young boy. This young boy didn't have much but he offered it all to the Lord. And the Lord used it mightily. Another example that we see here is really from the disciples. Remember, the other, the other accounts of this story help us to see that the disciples were the ones out in the field, literally doing the work. And this reminds us that the church, the people, they do the work of the ministry, each and every one of you. It's not just Pastor Pat and I or the elders or in this case, it's not just Jesus who does the work. He enabled the disciples to put forth the service to these people and to minister to their needs. And, and really, if you think about it, the same is true of us today, you know, of you here today. It isn't, again, it's not just the work of us, the elders who, who, who perform the work of the ministry. And Pastor Pat mentioned this a moment ago, but on Monday mornings, a group of men get together every single week. And what we do is we look at the passage that's being preached the following week. And what's really neat about that time is many times the principles, the main idea, the uh, sermon, you know, sermon titles that we generally don't use, um, or other major concepts come from these meetings that we have every week. And really, if you think about the services that we get to participate here and online every single week is humanly impossible, right, without John and Grace in the back. The music we enjoy is carefully picked and prayed over every single week and practiced and, 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 and delivered and, and led to you by our worship team every single week. And we are blessed with the administrative uh, skills of Paul. We are blessed with the bookkeeping skills of Patrice every single week. We're blessed to have Dave and Sherry Fulton keep our facilities clean and presentable to be ready to serve you each week. Steve Jacob, it, it make sure that all of you are greeted and taken care of on a weekly basis upon arrival and departure. Lauren Hawthorne is, is you know, faithfully here every single week and, and, and hosting our online service every single week as well. Cindy, who is uh, joining us online, she leads some of our women in a Bible study every single week, right? Our missionaries, a couple of them are here today, are, are supported by your offerings, and, they get, and they're spreading the gospel across the entire world because of what you all are doing. 
right? So we're doing the ministry together. And we're blessed because Christ allows us to participate in that work. So my question to you is, what about you? Right? If, if, if you are not participating, and, I, and I'm sure I left a few of you out, have you considered where God wants to use you? Have you considered where God wants to use you in his, in his work right here at Thornydale Family Church? If you're interested in, in figuring that out, come see myself, Pastor Pat, Steve, Joel. Uh, we'll be happy to, to discuss that further. So the, question, the second question I want to ask as we close our time out today is how should I live differently in response to this sign? How do I live differently in response to this? First thing I want to, to share with you is, is this. Stop looking at your available resources and look to Jesus. Recall the story of Abraham and Isaac back in Genesis. The Lord commanded Abraham as a test of his faith to sacrifice his son Isaac. And along the way to the altar, Isaac asked his father, Abe, Dad, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And then Abraham answered, God will provide. The faith of Abraham displayed there is remarkable. But how many times have we looked at our wallets or our bank account before we look to the Lord to provide? Don't worry, you're not going to be judged by me. Right? This is me speaking, I'm looking in a mirror right now, trust me. But what I've learned in, in, in troubled times that I've gone through, and what I've learned in anxious times that I've gone through, is I need to surrender. I just need to surrender it all to Him. The second thing that we learn, and that we must do to, 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 to act differently and live differently, is that we need to give the Lord our all. Give the Lord your all, and leave the rest to Him. Right? Give the Lord your all and leave the rest to him. In Mark 12, Jesus witnessed a poor widow give the equivalent of a penny to the temple. This is all that she had. Everything she had. While others who had given, they had much. But they actually gave little. This woman gave all that she had and the Lord blessed her for that. This boy that we saw had little. But the Lord used it in a mighty, mighty way to feed 12,000, 15,000 people in excess. The, the boy demonstrated his faith with his offering, whereas Philip, not so much, right? Do you trust him enough with your finances, with your resources? And number three, the last point here, the last thing we need to do to, to live this out and live differently is when it looks like you're all out of options remember that he can provide much with little when you're all out of options he can provide much with little we've said it here before you don't have to be a scholar to to tell people about the lord you don't have to be an ordained minister to do the work of the ministry you don't have to be classically trained singer to worship the lord in song you don't if you give him your heart he will and he can use you. If you give him you or all, he will use you. I heard one preacher put it this way. He says that this boy was close enough to Jesus so he can be used. Right? This boy was close enough to Jesus so he can be used. And that's why Jesus used that food. That's why Jesus used that offering. Are you close enough to Jesus 
so he can use you. So what we saw today is that Jesus can do much, even when we have just a little to give to him to start. Now, maybe, maybe this morning you can identify with Philip. I know I can. Who, instead of looking at Jesus for a solution, he looked at his own available resources for that solution. Maybe we should be more like the boy. Maybe we should be close enough to Jesus so he can use us and be used by him. Because even when we have little, Jesus can use us to, to do something incredibly mighty. But are you willing to keep following him and trusting him even when the fish runs out? Let's pray about it. Father, thank you for this message that um, I know convicted me when I studied it. Helped me to see you differently and help you to Help me to, to understand that I don't need a whole lot, and I'm not a whole lot. <laughs> but God, you are amazing. You will use your people to do your work. And uh, we're thankful for that, that you allow us to participate and partake of the ministry and of the work of the, of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for enabling us to do that. Pray, God, that you help each and every person here and, out, and online who are, are watching and viewing that you help each of us to, to look to you first, to make you a first, first response instead of a secondary response. And we, we Help us to, to do that in our daily walk. Help us to do that uh, in all areas of our life. Help us to look to you as the problem solver, the way maker, the one who provides all for each and every one of us. Help us to do that today. Pray, God, that you help us to to look deeper into our hearts and our minds, to allow us to see how we can live differently. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.